And my message to you today is even in the church but and in the world that we live in, there are these divisions, there are these in-groups and there are out-groups. And they exist. And he and Paul is pointing at these divisions and he says, you need to align yourself with the things that are above. You need to align yourself with the things of the kingdom where these divisions don't exist. But remember, we're living in a tension. These divisions have been dealt with and they are being dealt with. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit that we get to participate in to deal with. Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Hi there, my name's Andrew. Welcome to the Harvey Family Play Area slash Toy Kitchen. I've got my coffee here. I've got my real coffee here. We're going to be talking about Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking through the lens of reconciling humanity. And uh, before we get to that, I thought I would answer some of Chris's standard questions. I don't know if he's asked me them, but I'll tell you the answers anyway. Uh, The answers are Andrew William Harvey. Uh, I have myself, uh, two lovely boys, and my wife Katie living in this house. And uh, no, I would not kick a penguin. With that done, uh, let's get in and read the passage. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. It's just the one that I like to read. Uh, Whichever one works for you is great. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one of you has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, that's chapter 3. But I think before we get into it, it's actually important that we have a little rewind into chapter 2, because Paul has just spent a significant amount of the last chapter uh, writing to the Colossians, to, to the church at Colossae, uh, telling them not to be lured by dead religion. He doesn't use those words, but that's, that's what I'm going to call it, dead religion. Rules upon rules, driven by kind of self-sufficient effort, human effort. And we have to kind of remember that and remember that there is a certain lure to these rules. Uh, and there was a rule, there was a lure in the context that Paul was writing to because uh, he's writing into a messy, polytheistic, morally ambiguous at best uh, life that the Colossians would have known. And a set of hard and fast rules, like the rules that the Jews had and that certain people were trying to put on this the, the, the new church, what to eat, who to associate with, even a mark of your identity, circumcision. These things were attractive because if you, if you had them, if you followed the rules, you knew you were part of the in-group. You knew you were okay. You knew if you were good, good enough or not. And we kind of, we, we risk the same thing today that uh, while behavior is an important fruit, it's not the tree. And, and our sin problem is, is shown through our behavior, but it is not in its totality our behavior. Our sin issue is a heart issue. And Chris and my favorite theologian, N.T. Wright, describes sin as a failure of vocation, a failure to live up to the purpose, an abdication, a walking away from the purpose that God has for humanity, for us. Humanity has walked away from its call to be image bearers of God. That's the core issue. That's the heart issue. And so we've, retri- we've tried to replace our, our call and, and fill the hole of, of living out that call with rules upon rules upon rules. And that's made manifest. That failure is made manifest in the law, first of all, and then in all of the layers of human and effort that came after that. We're very used to kind of the cartoon villainy of the Pharisees, but really it was a self-protection because they felt like rules were going to protect them. Rules were going to make them righteous. Rules was going to mean that the Messiah would come. So it's into, into that context where these rules are then being foisted on a new church that Paul writes. He says... So you have been raised with Christ. He positions us straight off the top with Christ and says we should set our hearts on. We should seek out. We should align our compass with things above. 
And he says it twice, so you know it's important. But he's not just doing some kind of geographical positioning uh, exercise. So, like, you should be looking up. Uh, the the whole above below thing is is a is a cultural context a cultural construct in itself. But he doesn't mean that you should be looking up all the time and ignoring what's in front of you. No, because we know that God's plan of redemption is one for humanity. It's the coming of the kingdom here on earth. And it's the kingdom of God that Paul's talking about. It's the the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated, that Jesus started, that Jesus announced. He kicked off. And Paul helpfully reminds reminds us of this when he says, it's above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where we should be focusing our attention. That's where we should be fixing our hearts on. We should be fixing our hearts on where God's rule and reign exists, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because the kingdom of God is where God's rule and reign exist, where they are supreme. And so we set our sights on the kingdom. And we do that because we have been raised with Christ. And, and how? why have we been raised with Christ? Because we died with Christ, as Paul tells us. What died with Christ? We did. The old, broken, uh, distorted humanity. That failure of vocation died with Jesus. And that died with Christ. And so Paul goes on and he calls us to put to death a bunch of things. He calls us to put to death sexual immorality, uh, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul deals with sexual sins because they, unlike the rules that he was dealing with in chapter 2, these are matters of the heart. The way that humanity has walked away from our call, the way that it's described in the garden and it continues today, as that has left a wound, a deep wound. And that empty space, that wound that's left our desire, the desire for connection, our desire for intimacy, we, we fill it with distortion, with mess. And that's writ large in the pagan culture that Paul's writing into, but it's also writ large in, in ours. We can see it all around us that layers of hurt, of insecurity and emptiness, we, as a culture, we attempt to self-medicate. And there's a whole message just in, in looking at that and understanding and unpicking some of that. But that's what Paul's getting at. He's getting at matters of the heart. Paul follows up with another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Again, these are, these are matters of the heart again. It's not that we can't be angry. It's not that things can't upset us. 
so we can't take that anger and let it define us. We can't let it override our actions or, or take over our hearts. Because a lot of that, that acting out against one another, especially, is out of insecurity. It's out of a lack of identity. And it's out of that core wound, that core sin of stepping out of our vocation as image bearers. And so Paul's given us these two lists of things that we need to put off, to put away, to put to death. And we get to this pivot point. Because we've put these things off, and he starts to call us to put things on, put on the new self. And it's really interesting that he, he asks us to do this, because I don't know about you, I've been working from home a lot, um, with the pandemic, I, even before the pandemic, I worked home, from home a fair bit. And I'm lucky enough to have an office that I can work from, um, which, is, which is nice. But sometimes, even still, even having a place to walk into it, it can be hard for me to get going in my day. And one thing I've found that's helpful for me uh, is to not sit the whole day and, and try and work in my pajamas. Now, I, I know that works for some people. I know some people love it. Um, and, and if you can rock a robe for a whole day of work, fantastic for you. It's just not me. Because there's a process, there's a, there's a, there's a mindset. When I put off my pajamas, and let's be honest, they're Qantas pajamas. Uh, I used to travel a lot. I don't anymore. It's great. <laughs> and who wants to pay for pajamas? I put off the old clothes and I put on my clothes for the day. In doing that, I set my focus. I set my purpose. I don't have to dress up in a collared shirt or suit pants. I mean, I work in tech, uh, so I'm out of uniform if I'm not wearing a t-shirt and jeans. Uh, but this is what Paul is saying. Put off the old self. And it was common uh, in, in that time. I mean, it's common for us now. We just don't think of it quite as symbolically. That after a baptism, people would put on a new set of clothes not just a fresh set of clothes, but a new set of clothes to symbolize that the old self, the old clothes have gone down into the water and died and we've put on new clothes, we've put on a new self and they're entering into a new life. And so we put on the new self. Paul says that the new self is being renewed after the image of its creator. Being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. There's an important point there. But there's a few other funds that I want to get to first. And it's important to, to look at these because they help us understand. I don't know if, if sometimes you read this passage and you feel maybe a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit of tension. And if you're feeling that, that's, that's good. That's right, because there is absolutely tension here. The first one that we might notice is that the tenses are a little bit weird here. Paul writes that we have put off the old self and we have put on the new self. That's a past tense the, the fancy Greek tense is an aorist tense. It's happened at one point in time and, and it's done. But notice that the new self is being renewed. It's being renewed, continuous. It keeps on going in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Now, Paul started by, by talking about setting hearts, setting our hearts on the things above, on the kingdom. And if you've, uh, if you've heard people talk about the kingdom, maybe you've heard them talk about the now but not yet. Or maybe you've heard the, the kind of the different tenses of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come, it is coming, it is delayed, and it will come. And these are all true, is it? but it's an incredible tension between those things. And, and that now but not yet tension is something that we maybe are more reconciled with when we're praying for healing for someone or praying for the world, but maybe we haven't understood for ourselves. And so we have put on the new self, which is a point in time, has happened, air is tense, bam. But the new self is being renewed. And the second thing that's worth noticing here is that we are being actively passive. Say what? We are being actively passive. We have, we have put on the new self. In that we are the subject, the actor. Or as Paul writes, you have put on the, 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 the new self. He's writing to the Colossians and we're going to borrow it from them. There's a definite subject in that, in that whole sentence, and, and that's us. But the new self is being renewed. That's a passive voice there. We're not the subject. We're not the doer. We're not the renewer there. By implication, especially if you read from Paul's other writing, it's God. It's specifically, it's Holy Spirit who's doing that renewing. So the tension that we have to be aware of, Paul kind of points out here, there's a there's a point in time thing that's going on. Two, you know, there's two of them actually. So the first one is that we have put off the old self, we have died with Christ. That's the first point in time thing. And then the second point in time thing is we have put on the new self. We have been we sorry, we have been raised with Christ. That's the second thing. And so there's these two point in time things. And then we are being renewed. This new self is still being renewed. It is in progress. And it is Holy Spirit who is doing it. It's not just uh, by our own kind of sheer determination that this is happening, but similarly, we're not just bystanders because Paul tells us that we should put to death and we should put these things away and we should put on the new self. So we're neither passengers nor sole actors in this process. And that's a tension for us to find where that sits. And we similarly live in the tension of it has happened and it's happening. Later, Paul is going to tell us that we, we have put on the new self and implore us to, to put on a whole new list of things. And we're going to get that to a second, because Paul wants, us, wants to remind us of something else. It would be really easy at this point for us to feel like Paul is writing to a set of individuals. Especially in our kind of culture that we live in, very individualistic culture that we live in right now, that he's speaking to, to you or to me or to that person over there. But he's writing to the church. He's writing to a group of people at Colossae. 
And so he, he points us to another part of kingdom living. He lists off a whole bunch of ways that that, that church would have identified themselves. So different people within that church would have identified themselves. The way that they would have defined in and out groups. But these don't exist in the new kingdom. He lists off a bunch, and, and there's some, some interesting ones in there. There's Greek and Jew. These are these significant differences, almost diametrically opposite cultural identities. It's a heavily, heavily philosophical, uh, cultured Greeks, polytheistic, hedonistic people, compared with the fiercely nationalist Jews. They were set apart. They, they didn't mix as much. They had one God, and, and, and that was their first commandment. That was something they held very strongly to. They were a bit insular. And the Jews, as Paul goes on to kind of list out, they had a physical mark of that identity. Of, they had circumcision. And for them, that was a point of pride. And for outsiders, it was a point of ridicule. Then Paul lists off barbarians, who are just anyone who doesn't speak Greek. It's a huge cultural identity. It's a huge class divide. And Scythians, who are the uncultured people from the north. And then you have that power dynamic of slave and free. And what Paul is saying is that none of these identities, none of these divisions, none of these uh, in-groups and out-groups are relevant, exist in the kingdom. They are not markers of the new self that we are, we've put on and that is being renewed. Our identity is found in Christ and anything else died with him. And so there's a temptation at this point, maybe, to try and smuggle some, for want of a better word, colorblindness into this. Paul is acutely aware of all of the differences between these groups. He's aware of the divisions, the othering the class warfare, the racial intolerance, and the systems which even in his day enforced and upheld the divisions, the disparity, and the inequality. And he's not saying that they don't exist. And my message to you today is, even in the church but and in the world that we live in, there are these divisions, there are these in-groups, and there are out-groups. And they exist. And, he, and Paul is pointing at these divisions and he says, you need to align yourself with the things that are above. You need to align yourself with the things of the kingdom where these divisions don't exist. But remember, we're living in a tension. These divisions have been dealt with and they are being dealt with. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit that we get to participate in to deal with them. And in all of this, you could probably replace the word self in here, you know, putting off the old self, putting on the new self with the word humanity. Putting off the old humanity, putting on the new humanity, humanity, the restored humanity. Because God doesn't hate our humanity. He looked down upon it in, in the garden when we read, and he said that it was very good. What God hates is the sin. 
the distortion of humanity, the failure of vocation, the power struggles between us. Okay, deep breath. We get to putting on the new self. And Paul says it's because we are God's chosen people. Right now, we are holy and beloved. We put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul calls on the church to live in restored, reconciled relationship. To bear with one another because they have put on new humanity. But that new humanity is still being restored and we still make mistakes. We are called to forgive as we have been forgiven by God. And these are, again, matters of the heart. These aren't just mere veneer. These aren't just mere behavior. There is inward work that is being done that has to be done. Paul says that the new self is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our creator. That's inside-out work. And it has this effect on the outside, and it transforms the outside, and it most notably transforms relationships. That transformation to that kingdom community, which is, which is with, which is Christ, and which is sorry, which is in Christ, which is defined by Christ, that comes through putting on the new self, the new humanity. And these aren't things that you can fake your way into. If you try and put on a compassionate heart from the outside in, that's going to become twisted. Same goes for all of these. There's, there's false humility. There is uh, patience, which is not really patience, that kind of impatient patience. And the same goes for all of these. There's, there's counterfeits that exist, but they're pretty obvious especially to you when you're living on the inside of them. And that's why Paul directs the reader to love as the binding agent here. It is only as we put on the love of a redeeming God, love that we experience through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that this can at all become real. We are changed by that love, And we are being changed by that love. And that love is redeeming the world, reconciling humanity into our place as image bearers. So I'm going to burn some some retro rockets and we're going to bring this into land. What does it look like practically? Because all this is kind of heady and there's tension and all of that, but how do we live that out? I think the first thing to do is actually just to acknowledge the tension and acknowledge to some extent that this is hard. And in that, to rest fully on Christ, the work he has done in his death and resurrection and the work that Holy Spirit is doing in us now. That means living in his grace. Not trying to do it ourselves, but participating in the work. There's all sorts of practical things that we're doing. Paul 
calls out sexual sin, but there's a whole bunch of other things, matters of the heart that need to be dealt with. And some of it is not putting ourselves in a place of temptation where we can slip into these things. We can find accountability. We can find people to to keep us accountable, to call us into that new humanity. Because if we try and do this alone by ourselves, we're not going to do it. We're not going to manage. And we're called to do this as God's chosen people. And as we put on the new self, there's, there's something great about asking for God's heart of compassion. And this is, this is really easy to get angry in today's world. It's really easy to get frustrated. It's really re- easy to be impatient, especially as we're, we're locked down and, and people are doing things, all sorts of things that we may or may not agree with. And, and, it, and it's easy for us to kind of lash out. But we're called to put on this heart of compassion. We're called to be influenced and driven and bound together by love. And so asking for God to, to do that is, is going to be important. And then actively taking a moment and breathing and mindfully having compassion for the people that make you angry, that make people make you upset. They might be close to you. They might be far away. That doesn't mean don't have boundaries. That doesn't mean don't expect better. That doesn't mean put yourself in, in unsafe situations. It doesn't mean excusing people doing bad things. But it does mean acting out of love, acting out of compassion. And it's important for us to know that this is ongoing work. Sometimes it's tempting to have a checklist and and mark ourselves against it, and that's not healthy, that's not helpful. What is, is to each day lean back into the work that Jesus has done and Holy Spirit is doing in us. And then there's for us to live it out together as a renewed humanity, as a renewed church, to live it out together, doing the the hard work of reconciliation stepping into that kingdom relationship and partnered always with Holy Spirit and rooted in Christ. Paul prays another prayer for for the Church of Ephesians, and I want to finish by reading that. It's from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.